All right, welcome to Star Wars, an artist's perspective. I mean, i got to say that this is a really exciting panel because I am truly honored to be on stage with Canadian treasure, Ken Stacy. Tell me more. <laughs> and one of the number one Star Wars artists there is, Dave Dorman. That's me. Give it up for you. In fact, he is known as Mr. Star Wars. Mr. Star Wars. Mr. Star Wars. All right. Japanese love. What is what is the format of the panel? Well, I was going to start out asking some questions. Okay. Hopefully, you guys were going to ask. To do with Star Wars, is like general. I, I was thinking Star Wars. Okay. You know, good, we would stick Star Wars. All right. And then after you answered them eloquently, then uh, the, and, and we went back and forth like that for a little while. Then then probably we will throw to some questions from the audience. I love it. Excellent. I am so happy. So let's start out with. With Star Wars, like, what's the most important thing about, you know, like, like maintaining, like, when you're working on Star Wars, like, what do you think of when you're working on it? Having fun. Well, yeah. Like the yeah. The, um, um, you know, just being an artist is the greatest job in the world, and and being able to do something that you love so much as in Star Wars or Indiana Jones or Aliens and Predator or, you know all the stuff that I've been involved in over the years is just a double bonus of greatness so uh, uh, it's it's real fun uh, work it's it's not like work um, but the, the, the main importance for me of working on Star Wars is to try to replicate that world of Star Wars make the things look like they're supposed to make the characters look like they're supposed to not take liberties and and do caricatures or or something I mean, my style is very realistic so that's why Lucasfilm hires me to to do the artwork that I do they want to make sure that Harrison Ford looks like Han Solo and and so on uh, so that that to me is is the integrity that that I make sure that I bring uh, to the artwork that I do when I, I know I'm dating myself, but I went to see Star Wars, The um, New Hope, when it first came out. I came out of the theater, I phoned my wife and said, I've seen the movie I think I've been waiting for my whole life. I'm going right back in the theater to see it again. Um, and it is still one of the greatest movies I've ever seen. Um, my wife thinks that the second uh, Star Wars film, Empire Strikes Back, is the best. Mm -hmm. She's wrong, categorically. Mm -hmm. No, she's not. And I will argue <laughs> no, that until we're all blue in the face here. No, she's not. She's right. See, we're starting already. She put him up to this. I know she did. But the reason I thought it was such a great film was because George and the whole team set out to make a film that came right from the heart. They didn't set out to make a blockbuster. They didn't set out to do this so that 30 years later we could be sitting here talking to you guys about how much we loved it and how important it's been to our lives and our careers and so on. They just wanted to make a great film. And I think they succeeded beyond anyone's expectation. And so to be part of that and to kind of give back some of that joy that we felt is uh, is really special, really priceless. Yeah, I um, just a, a follow up on, on Ken's first viewing of, of the film. I was 17 when I saw Star Wars opening day, which was the same age as Luke. So it really resonated a little bit more with me because I could, I could sympathize with his story of wanting to see a bigger world. Um, and uh, so to you know, find out, uh, you know, working with my art career with Star Wars as a definite influence um, 
through those years, uh, and then eventually, 13 years later, end up at Dark Horse uh, doing Dark Empire uh, and starting off a whole new resurgence of, of Star Wars and Star Wars fans and, and everything that's come after that. Um, it really makes that first viewing of Star Wars you know, a, a very epic moment in my life. And it's still timeless. I mean, I've yeah. probably watched um, New Hope like 17 times or something, and I still find something new and exciting. To me, the other thing, too, was it was one of the greatest um, experiences just in terms of narrative and, and world building. And my favorite scene in that, um, actually my favorite line is still, we used to bullseye womp rats in my G16 back home, and they're no more than two meters. Which sounds interesting, they said meters instead of feet. Right. But um, it's the scene where we first see the Millennium Falcon. And of course, everybody in the theater's jaws are dropping because it's like the most awesome, you know, spacecraft that anyone has ever seen. And Luke's response, a piece of junk. And right there, I thought, okay, this is a real world that someone has thought through. Because it'd be like somebody showed you, it's like, okay, we're going to drive to Calgary and we're going to go in this, you know, Ford pickup. And he would look at it and go, what a piece of junk. Yeah. So, yeah. Wonderful detail, um, and and you know wonderful drop detail. A lot of a lot of science fiction films tend to overwrite to explain things because it's science fiction, and you know a, a good story will will overcome anything that you have questions about. And if you have questions about it at the end of the movie, then that's good. Talk to people about it. You know. But, so but so what's what's a womp rat? Yeah, but, and that's George's genius and, is as a storyteller. Yeah, uh, like Dave says, it's you know you are so immersed in that world. I, I don't know if you may share the sentiment, but I hate nothing more than watching a film and we get a picture of the Eiffel Tower and this Paris, France, the Eiffel Tower, noon. You know what? It's yeah. like I know where we are. It's yeah. Paris, and same yeah. thing. It's yeah. like whether we're on you know Tatooine or you know the Death Star or whatever. It was because of the you know the character and quality of the storytelling that we knew where we were. There's no sense of dislocation because of the strength that story time. Yeah. And we didn't need any captions. Death Star, deep space somewhere. <laughs> yes, sorry. Oops. Yes, sorry. exactly. <laughs> Oops. Sorry, I apologize. Um, <laughs> so, Ken, you had uh, earlier, you had uh, done a trading card that you mentioned the Womp Rat. And so where you had to render a Womp Rat. I think I may have been the first person to borrow Yeah, and, and so yeah. I was going to ask about to both of you about the idea of like, are there things that you've had to draw that exist in the Star Wars universe but have never been seen? <laughs> Funny you should ask that. Uh, when um, when episode one came out, I did a bunch of kids' books, and we had very little reference because everything was totally under wraps. And we had to beg for stuff, because our deadlines were pretty hard. I was doing a bunch of books for Random House, and I kept having to call Lucas, um, uh, Lucas Arts and say, you know, well, I need a picture of these Gungans, or whatever they are. And, you know, they would send me these super classified uh, um, uh, models. And a lot of them hadn't even been rendered yet. So one in particular was, there was a scene in, um, what's his name, Boston Naz, that... Yeah, and, and there were these guards flanking him, and I'm looking at this, and I'm trying, and again, they're not very high resolution, so I'm trying to figure this out. So I drew this character, <laughs> and then later, somebody looked at it and went, what is that on his head? And they said, oh, well, I thought that was his helmet or his hat, and someone who knew better looked at it and went, oh, that's his jaw. And I said, what? 
they said, oh, well, the render wasn't done yet, and I guess somebody must have, like, you know how, like, your hand <laughs> slips and something moves? But, like, his jaw was sitting on top of his head, and I thought it was a hat, and that's how I drew it, and it's actually in the book. <laughs> So I forgot the question. Oh, uh, just, just, are there anything that, is there anything that's in the Star Wars universe that was mentioned that you've had to draw that, that wasn't actually, that you haven't seen before? Um, most of the work that I did that was directly related to the films, um, no, that was all referenced from, uh, you know, the movie production. I would get stills or, or photographs of models or actors or whatever. So that wasn't a problem. Obviously, when we moved into the EU, uh, the expanded universe, uh, there was just a slew of characters that had no design to them. So, uh, um, you know, Dark Horse uh, ended up having to design a lot of characters for Lucasfilm uh, because of those stories that we were doing for the EU. So I ended up helping, you know, design some of those characters for them. Um, and then uh, Kevin Anderson and I. And, and his wife Rebecca and I worked on the Young Jedi Knights uh, book series and so they had written those characters but there was no physical um, design, no, no um, uh, interpretation of those so it was up to me to design those characters for the paintings for the covers of the book. So do you own those characters? <laughs> <laughs> well it doesn't matter now because they don't exist. Uh, yeah. oh, that's right, that'd be retconned out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, over the course of, of the uh, 25 years I've been working on Lucasfilm, there have been a lot of characters that I've been involved in, in designing uh, for expanded universe material, but uh, not anything that's been in uh, movie, specific movie related stuff. I don't know about you guys, but I, I was a little weirded out by some of the stuff that they came up with, because the very first Star Wars stuff I did was. I did the covers, and I was the inker on the last two Marvel comic Star Wars, and they had these telepathic bunnies called Hoochins. And I remember yeah. going, come on, somebody's really tugging our chain here. Well, sure I, I, I think that's when Marvel lost interest, or the <laughs> yeah. readers lost interest, or somebody lost interest, because those, like you say, were the last issues that they put yeah. out. So, I feel guilty about you know, that and yeah, and uh, you know, we're happy that that Dark Horse didn't follow that lead. They worked very closely with Lucasfilm and with Timothy Zahn actually uh, to create this sort of shared universe that we all worked in uh, for 25 years. Uh, Lucasfilm was overseeing everything from the writing of the books to the writing of the comics to the creation of the games and kids books and anything else that utilized new characters everything sort of had to fit into this storyline um, or timeline so that they weren't walking over each other and they did that very well because the fandom just kept building and building um, uh, you know reading those books and, and not being confused by what was happening in the comics as opposed to what was happening in the books themselves. Well, I think it's cool about fandom, though. It's just so broad and diverse that there probably is, like, a Hoojib fan club out there somewhere. Yeah, that might be. <laughs> so, so nobody's uh, come up and asked you to draw them? I have so. actually drawn Hoojib. I've wow. done sketches. So, yeah. <laughs> I have, and I never have. <laughs> but and I would be delighted to if anyone would like oh, a Oh, thanks. <laughs> I've drawn some Gun Gungans before. I think they're, they're great. They're yeah, just they're sort fun. of really goofy. Yeah. 
Uh, By the way, Jar- I, I, I just want to say something about Jar Jar Binks. I know everybody hates Jar Jar Binks, but you know what? Jar Jar Binks was created, George created Jar Jar Binks for his son Jet. You know, and and that's, I have to say that's why I think that George is one of the greatest filmmakers of all time, but absolutely the greatest indie filmmaker ever, because he makes his films for himself and for his family and his friends and whoever he wants to talk to. And no one can tell him no. I mean, he could sit there um, and, you know, preview a scene and say, no, take those ships out. No, put them back in. No, take them out. And it's like, well, this is going to, like, cost another $100,000 to do this. It's like, that's fine. You know, and, and, and even people like James Cameron had to forego his, his, uh, his, his fee as director to get Titanic finished, the most successful film of all time at the time. And he still had to go cap in hand with the producers and say, please finish this film. So, you know, George, having made that amazingly brilliant deal where he traded off uh, part of his fee for the second film uh, in exchange for licensing rights, which Fox executives thought, oh, what a dope man. Lic- what is licensing anyway? Cool. We just saved half a million bucks. Oh, there's nothing like it before. So they Exactly. So now how many, what, how many billions of dollars later, those guys are probably, you know, in a bar somewhere. We could have had a try. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's well, true. Good for George. Because they probably don't have jobs anymore. That's true. Exactly. It's like, you morons. <laughs> All right. Why don't we uh, go out into the audience and see if anybody has a question? You want us to go out into the We can take microphones and go out into the audience. Too bad. It's, okay. it's been a long show. I'm sitting here. <laughs> yeah, you can sit right down here. So, uh, thanks very much. I, you know, I have a question about licensing and kind of how it, how it works, and I assume that you know, the two of you, with, with your years of experience and plus talking to other people, must have done everything from licensed work to straight work for a hire. You know, what tends to be particularly contentious, and what's the best way to avoid those kinds of problems? What kind of problems do you mean? I guess I'm thinking of, of, of jointly created works. You, know, you have one writer, you have, you have one artist. Okay. You know, what can you reproduce from Dark Horse? Okay. Example, I'll, I'll just sort of try to give you the short uh, uh, works of it. Um, Lucas created Star Wars. Um, his company uh, eventually, um, through his negotiations, owns everything. Yeah, I'm talking about up to the Disney part. Um, so, anything that's done Star Wars has to be licensed from them. That means uh, Marvel has to pay uh, Lucasfilm, um, you know, a million dollars to do, you know, two years of Star Wars comics or whatever. And with that, um, they hire the creative team: writer, um, uh, penciler, inker, color, letterer. Um, and we do that. We do that product. We do that product for Marvel, and Marvel is doing it for Lucasfilm. The top line of that contract is that all the work that's done is called work for hire, meaning that all the work that we do for this particular project is owned outright by Lucasfilm. We have no rights to utilize the work in any way. and we get paid what Marvel will pay us, and that's it. So the work for hire thing is a real contentious thing 
in the business because as a creative person, if you do a work for hire project, you lose all control of whatever you're doing. But as a smart business person, you should know going in that you're working for work for hire and, and not be surprised at the end when you say, uh, I want to uh, you know, reproduce this piece of artwork in a book. And they say, no, you can't because we own the rights and you'll have to pay us a, 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 some type of licensing fee to be able to use that. But I have to say, if I can just jump in here, that um, I spent most of my career doing work for hire. I worked for Marvel and DC and Star Wars and Harry Potter and so on. And I've loved every minute of it, mostly. Yeah. But because it is fun to play in other people's sandboxes. Um, but the most the satisfying work I've ever done is the work for which I own the intellectual property. And, you know, really, intellectual property is the currency of the future. So if you can create things and find an audience for it, which is now possible through the Internet, um, you may not make as much money, but there is nothing more satisfying than, you know, bouncing out of the bed in the morning and, like, sitting down to draw something that you own in total and that you can... You put it online, and somebody like seconds later says, "Wow, this is really cool. Where's the story going?" And so on. Our eldest son is a web comic artist, and that's what he does. You know, he posts his comics. He has a Patreon. Um, you know, it's it's fabulous, and that's more where my career is moving towards. I'm also an educator. Uh, my wife and I create a program of comics and graphic novels at um, Camosun College in, in Victoria, BC. But in the summer months, that's going to be the focus of what I'm doing is creating my own IP. Right. So, sorry, just a follow. So, so if you draw a new hoojump, like in a new situation, can you do that? Or you no, not, no. Any, anything, anything whatsoever. Okay. Whether it's canon or you know, it's it's um, and it's it's very well played out, and and it's it's really odd that there's now this monopoly that Disney owns Marvel and Star Wars and practically everything else. Um, yeah, they're very, very specific about what what you can and can't do. And again, I would much rather create my own hoochie. Right. And they're going to be telepathic squirrels instead of rabbits or something. Right. And and we have some old, older fans here and some younger fans. Um, the whole idea of Image Comics uh, came up through uh, the creators who who started Image Comics were working for Marvel Comics. And so they were working under a work for hire situation. They were creating these characters for Marvel, not getting uh, paid, not getting royalties. They were getting paid under work for hire, but it wasn't a fair compensation for the amount of books that Marvel was selling. So they decided they're going to walk away from Marvel, create their own company called Image, and own everything. So basically, they turned themselves into George Lucas. So they can create whatever they wanted, own it, and then be able to make their own stories. End up, you know, McFarland making toys, and you know, uh, uh, farming his stuff out to to cartoons and, and movies, uh, things like that. So, so that's a way to step away away from the work for hire. Um, but, like Ken says, work for hire can be good. Work for hire tends to pay more. Uh, because they're usually big companies that want to control the material, so they'll pay you more uh, to get your work and uh, keep you happy. And um, beyond that as well, um, the risk of editorializing, as, as great an idea as, as the image has been, it is problematic for most creators who are, you know, we are creative forces, we want to tell stories and stuff, and to be a business person as well, especially when you're looking at publishing schedules and printing and all that stuff, it can eat up so much time, it starts to compromise your ability to actually 
do the important work. So that's the upside of working for a company like Marvel or DC. All you got to do is turn in your pages and it's done. But as Dave says, at the end of the day, still, you own absolutely zip, nothing. Yeah. So, so, so one of the things that I do, and I'm sure that Ken does it in his uh, uh, school as well, when I uh, do lectures and, and demonstrations, uh, I spend a good amount of time talking about the business of comics, the business of art. And you need to understand what a contract is, what's in a contract, so that you're not being taken advantage of. And that's a very important part of this business because there are a lot of companies who, who see young artists uh, and will exploit them. And then, you know, when the company starts making money and the artist says, you know, where's my royalty, they'll say, oh, this clause in your contract says work for hire, didn't you see it? And that happens quite frequently. So. Um, it's very important to know the, the, the legal and business end of art as well. I haven't really followed the Clone Wars um, story uh, that it doesn't exist or not. I, I believe it's still part of of the canon because of um, the prequels, they're, they're a spin-off of the prequels. Um, but the expanded universe uh, being totally thrown out, um, personally, uh, I don't care because well because I can see it from both ends. I mean, I've I've worked for 25 years with the expanded universe, so I know these characters, and I really enjoyed working on them, and I would love to work on them again. But from Disney's point of view, they're handcuffed creatively if they take the expanded universe and, and use it. So I understand that Disney wants to start with a fresh slate and create their own storytelling. And I hold nothing against them with that, and certainly with the two films that have come out uh, through Disney, uh, they have a good handle on the material. But I think we're going to see, just like with Admiral Thrawn, and a couple other small things that, that have uh, uh, been part of the expanded universe, there's some good stuff there, and I think we'll eventually see some of that creep into the modern uh, canon uh, for the films. So for me as a Star Wars fan, as long as the material is good, I'm going to enjoy it. You know, Sure, I'd love to see more Crimson Empire. Uh, stories and and I'd love to see more, uh, uh, you know, Dark Empire type stories. But you know, I thought Rogue One was one of the best Star Wars films I've seen in the whole run. So I'm looking forward to it. Oh, sorry, we got a question. Uh, oh, you got a follow? Were you included in the Force Unleashed or no? No, I wasn't. Um, unfortunately, uh, being tagged in the licensing department, um, they they literally told me because I I, I talked to the movie department uh, a couple of times, and uh, although they love my work, the licensing department would not let me move into the movie department. Uh, they at, at that time, Lucasfilm was still very small, and so everything was in the same area. And um, uh, they knew that I was doing, you know, real nice things for the licensing department. And had they moved me into the film department, I would have been taken out of 
what they considered, you know, very sellable artwork. And, you know, that's their business is to, you know, sell books and magazines and things. And I was doing that for them. So um, it's, a, it's a, a regret that I have, but I've been treated well. Uh, you know, through the licensing department at Lucasfilm, and uh, you know, I'll, I'm sticking with it. Okay, so you're. How did you get a job working? I got the job working with Lucasfilm, um, sort of in a sideways uh, fashion. Uh, I was doing uh, painted covers for a number of books in the late 1980s, uh, dealing with some licenses and then uh, some covers for some friends that were. Uh, producing their own character books at Dark Horse Comics. So I heard a rumor that Dark Horse was going to publish Indiana Jones. And since they liked my work there because they were publishing on, on other covers, uh, you know, I said I would love to do you know, the covers for the Indiana Jones book. And so they said, well, you know, Lucasfilm has to approve the artist that we get for the book. And so I, I gave them you know, a couple of real nice pieces to uh, show that I could handle it. And I got the covers. And then the, the year following, uh, they uh, said, you know, well, I, you know, I think we're going to give Star Wars a shot. <laughs> and I said, ooh, I would like to do covers for Star Wars now, please. <laughs> and since I had already been approved by Lucasfilm for Indiana Jones, they knew what I could do. I was basically in the, in, in the right spot at the right time, and I was given the covers for Dark Empire, and then that started, you know, my 24th. 528-year run, you know, of Star Wars, uh, beginning with Dark Empire, and and you know, I'm still doing you know covers for Marvel's uh, books now. So, yeah, that was that was it, and that that really it turned my career around because you know I'd just be a regular guy, you know, <laughs> at a show doing comics. You but, know, uh, just be a regular guy. <laughs> but uh, you know, once once you know, I I got involved in the Star Wars family, it changed my whole life. So, you know, being that 17-year-old uh, watching the movie uh, in 1977, uh, there was no way that I could ever dream, you know, that I would be at the resurgence of Star Wars, you know, for generations, you know, in 1991. For me, it was, uh, I used to play golf with George, and... Um <laughs> See, you can, people are so wrapped. They're going, wow, what was his handicap? His handicap was playing with you. <laughs> oh, snap. Um, i got to back up a bit. Um, this is what's amazing about this industry is there is, you know, um, faith favors the prepared mind or prepared, you know, artist or whatever. Is that a teacher's thing? It is. Oh, it okay. is. Um, when... Marvel first did the comic, their Star Wars existed as a rough cut. It was actually called The Star Wars. And they had contacted an artist named Howard Chaikin to draw the comic. And he was in an elevator talking to somebody else, I think at Marvel, mm-hmm. and saying, oh yeah, we got this new thing. We're, we're, and, and artists, generally speaking, back in the day at least, hated doing adaptations because you got this big thing on the screen, you got to cram it down into a comic book. So Howard was kind of whining about, oh, I got to do this thing called the Star Wars and some big space epic, and and you know they haven't assigned me an anchor yet. And there's a wonderful artist named Steve Leloha who is in the elevator, and he said, "I'm an anchor." <laughs> and Howard looked at him and went, "Oh yeah, I seen your stuff, kid. You're pretty good. Okay, I'll put in a word for you." So Steve became the anchor of what is like one of the most famous comics ever. Yep. 
So years and years later, um, Steve is friends with a woman named Cindy Martin, and Cindy is drawing, she's penciling the Star Wars comic over Steve's layouts, and the last issue is coming out, and they don't have an inker, and Steve says, I'm not an anchor. No, actually, no. I, I'm going to I'm retcon my own story. I was in an elevator with Steve. He said, I need an anchor. <laughs> I said, I can ink Steve. Um, but I got the job. I, I was also, at that point, I was one of the few people like Dave who actually did fully painted artwork. Like most artwork in those days was done mechanically. It was black and white art, which was mechanically separated colors and on lousy paper. And there was a certain charm to it, but still. But we were, you know, there was a, a few people who were actually doing painted work. And they wanted a painted cover, and so I was contacted to do that. And then somehow it came up the conversation that Cindy needed someone to finish the art. And I said, "Well, that'll be fun. I've never done that before. I have a very short attention span. I have to tell you, that's why I've never stayed on a book. I mean, I think Astro Boy, the 16 issues that did that, was the longest I've ever done. So I'm always splitting from one project to the next in order to keep interested, and also I'm always trying to learn something, whatever I do. So I thought I've never actually inked a mainstream book. This would be fun and interesting." So I got on the book, they liked what I did, they gave me the next book, and then the book got canned. But from that point forward, I was now an, like, an authorized licensed Star Wars artist. So other little projects started coming in, and then of course when episode one came in, um, I started doing a lot of stuff. And even before that, I guess Topps got the rights, and I did some paintings of Darth Vader, and then the, the you know, the with Bullseye and the Wall Rats and the T-16 back home and stuff like that. So yeah, the tra trading card. The trading card, yeah, the yeah. galaxy. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, it's been great. Yes? Um, so, since you guys have worked with this universe for so long, how have you found it, like, influencing your, influencing, your uh, original stuff, if at all? Uh, just really, for me, I keep looking back to that first film and think, this is a good story well told, how did he do it? And try to deconstruct that and understand um, you know, the essence of, of, of a good story well told and, and how do you put it together and how do you create compelling characters and you know, is it character driven or plot driven? I, I contend that the best movies are always, always, always character driven. The plot drives you know, the film forward, but if you're not engaged with the characters, if you either love them or hate them, that's what's important. If you're indifferent to your characters, then why are you bothering? Um, so, yeah, for me, it's, it's just... And yeah, some of the films have, have been better and worse. I'm totally in agreement with Dave that um, the last two films, especially Rogue One, I thought was fabulous. And especially, like, talking about closing in a huge circle. I mean, I really got shivers, like, right at the end, because it's like, boom, you're right back 30 years ago. 40 years 40. ago? Or 40, yeah. Oh, am I ever dating myself? <laughs> yeah. Um, just... Really quickly, um, I'm not necessarily a storyteller, although I tell my story in a single illustration. Um, it's it's the look of the world of Star Wars and and uh, the artists that they brought in to create that look, and and um, uh, that certainly has influenced a couple of generations of artists. Uh, uh, you know, we begin with Ralph McQuarrie, you know, the grand old master of of Star Wars art, and then we get into Joe Johnston and and um, Doug uh, yeah Doug Chang, uh, um, Ian McKay, uh, all these all these guys who are great artists and and create imagery that um, uh, is is a whole world. It it's, it exists, and so you can see that influencing you know science fiction art 
beginning in the 80s and you know moving you know through until today uh they're still doing great stuff there and those artists are influencing you know everybody else including me all right another question right here i'm just wondering when you got assigned to do a cover uh how do they uh, i guess pick the scenes is it something you're given a script and you pick what you want or they say we want this person doing that thing as action you know the answer um every project is different um with uh, um, comics, uh, they tend to contact the, the cover artist um, if it's not the artist that's doing the book. Uh, so I'll get contacted by the uh, um, editor or the art director and they say, you know, we want you to do these covers. Um, with uh, anything that's licensed, the, the, the person who owns the license, in this case Lucasfilm, has to approve the artist as well because they don't want someone, you know, screwing up the look of their their property. Um, but as far as the actual construction of the cover, um, it can be anything from you know just a sentence from your art director to uh, you know two or three paragraphs of what they think might make an interesting scene, or they'll send the whole manuscript and say, you know, pick something that works. Um, for someone like myself, and I'm sure Ken, uh, who have uh, vast experience in creating single images and covers, uh, they trust us. So they can say, here's the manuscript, give us something that's going to grab the reader. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Because I was visiting Dave a few years ago and uh, was astonished as always by his virtuosity, in particular creating this cover. Oh, thank you very much. Yes, yes, yes. Um, we were going to dinner, and I remember Dave saying, "Oh, just a minute! I got I got a cover I got to do for for Dark Horse. Hang on." And so I got to watch him like prep a, like the illustration board with the gesso, and sort of block in the, the forms, and then put the first layers of oil paint on. And I'm just like my eyes are getting bigger and bigger. It's like, okay, we gotta go now. And then the next day, you started you know tidying up. Yeah, and it was it was that one. It was a staff. Yeah, this is an interesting story because um, uh, I had, this was the last issue of Crimson Empire where we wanted to sort of put a bookend to um, Kirkanos' story uh, because he leaves, he, he just walks away, he says it, uh, enough and so he walks away from all the conflict and everything and just is gone. Uh, so the image that I wanted to do was to show um, uh, for those who don't know, he was one of the uh, Crimson Guard. He was one of the Red Guards. So I, I, I put, the, put his double-bladed staff, I, I put it into the ground, and I took his red helmet and stabbed it right on top of the, the, the pike, and then I had a tattered uh, uh, cape sort of blowing uh, off, and, and then there was uh, some background, and then uh, on top there was some um, uh, TIE Fighters and X-Wings, sort of, you know, continuing the fight, but he's not there. And it was a very symbolic cover, and I thought it made a good bookend for, for the end of the series. Uh, and that's what Ken saw. Um, so I, I painted it, I delivered it. Um, let me back up a little bit. This, this sketch, this drawing, was approved by Dark Horse. It was approved by Lucasfilm. Uh, so when it came back to me, they said, okay, you're approved, go ahead and use this idea. Uh, so when I painted it, uh, I get a call back from uh, my editor saying that um, 
yeah, Dave, you know, Lucasfilm saw this cover, and, you know, there's no characters on it. And I said, well, yeah, that was the purpose. You know, it was, it was a, a, an, an idea of, of the story, not anything that happens exactly in the story. So, well, Lucasfilm wants to show the character on the cover, so we have to reject this cover. Really, and I said, "Well, you know, you're gonna have to pay me for another cover because they approved it. I painted it, and they said we know." And so I said, "Okay." So I, I redid uh, the design for the cover. Uh, instead of having no character on it, uh, I had I physically had Kirkanos walking away from. He, he had put his 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 cape up onto a wall and on uh, Espa or something, and drove his um, uh, saber into it and then the helmet was cracked on the ground and it's you see his back walking away and that was fine with them so uh, that was the one out, out of all the work that I've done with Dark Horse that was the one piece that uh, uh, has never been published um, because they rejected it uh, they, they did publish the second version um, so have you ever shown it? Because I don't think I ever saw the finish. I just saw yeah, the no, I don't. Progress. I don't think I did have shown it anywhere. There's no, there was no, there's nowhere to show it. Yeah, right. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, that's that was an interesting story because Lucasfilm just doesn't do that. Um, you know, if it's approved, they'll go with it. But uh, I had never heard of any anyone else uh, having an already finished piece uh, rejected. So someone was having a bad day. <laughs> That's all right. I got paid for two paintings. So. I got a great, I got a great assignment from um, Dark Horse years ago. They were doing a lot of licensing and partnering, and they partnered with General Foods or Post. Uh, who, who makes fruit roll-ups? Well, whoever. It's not important. <laughs> Nobody here likes fruit roll-ups. I feel like it's. I don't like fruit roll-ups. Could be Betty Crocker. So they called Betty up and said, "Listen, we want to do this, this thing," and they were going to make these mini comics that would go into packages of fruit roll-ups. They're going to be teeny tiny, so they called up and said, um, "We're wondering, could you do one? Could you do eight covers for the price of one?" And I said, "No." Yeah, because that's the way our business works. Exactly. <laughs> the, the, we hear this all the time. It's like, well, why not? <laughs> Don't you really enjoy doing this stuff? Don't you bounce out of bed in the morning, dude? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And so I said, well, and they, they, they described what the drill is, and they said, you know, it's not a big budget, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, what I could do is what if I made one painting and designed it in such a way it could be subdivided into eight images that would work on their own? And they went, oh, that's a great idea. Do that. So I did, and it worked out great. Unfortunately, they couldn't find the right inks and the right paper and stuff that were in, you know, in no way toxic because they would be in direct contact with the fruit roll-ups. And so the project eventually died. It was ultimately published online because I also um, pencil ink and colored like the little eight-page comics in each one. So it is available. We just got a five-minute warning. Does that mean there's like a storm front moving in or something? It's very dangerous and scary. It's very dangerous and scary. Okay, so like one more question? Yes. Or two. Depends. Or two, okay. <laughs> if, they're, if they're short questions. <laughs> or if they're not questions. All right. Back here. <laughs> um, I would like to say it's a Star Wars piece, but it's not. 
Um, I did uh, a run of Indiana Jones. I did uh, actually I did a couple runs of Indiana Jones, and um, uh, the last one that I did was cover for Thunder in the Orient number one, and it just came out wonderful. It, it just has the indie feel to it. His likeness was perfect, um, and um, that's my favorite. Uh, I have I have an agreement with Lucasfilm that uh, George has first option to buy my original artwork uh, that I do of, of his properties. So he has bought a lot of artwork, um, but um, and he bought most of the previous Indiana Jones uh, paintings. But this one, no, it's hanging in my living room and it's not going anywhere. Uh, it's, it's, I, I look back on it and, you know, sometimes I, I think to myself, how did I even paint that? You I, know? I want to pick up on that because, like, a moment ago you said something very interesting when you said it came out really well. There is that element of uncertainty and I want everybody to be clear on this. Like, we don't know exactly what we're doing. It may look that way, but. There's a great quote from Picasso. He said, if you know exactly what you're going to do, what's the point of doing it? So when we go into a project, we have an idea what's going to happen, but it's an iterative process. Each decision we make informs the next decision. And so when you say that this turned out really well, we often surprise ourselves. We go, what? I did that? How did I do that? And that's part of the process is going back going, how do I capture that lightning in a bottle again? Yeah. So, and that's what makes it exciting. Every time you sit down is that, Okay, here we go. Yeah, and, and that's always the challenge that, that every artist uh, has in doing that next piece. Is because you look back on your career and you say, well, I've done you know, a couple of nice pieces. And then you say, well, you know, maybe this next one is going to be you know, another one of those nice pieces. So you, you, you keep moving ahead and moving ahead. And um, that, that piece is uh, the one that, that I'll probably hold on to forever. And don't forget, what's, for all your artists out there, Finish not perfect. What's the most important yeah. thing about making comics? Start your comic. What's the second most important thing? Finish your comic. Finish it, yeah. So, back there? Oh, uh, yeah. Two questions, actually. So, Gotta be quick. Yeah, so first question, um, about, like, your process. Do you do that thing where you work on a piece and you leave it for, like, a day or, like, a week and you go back to look at it? Like, that's, the, that's your schedule? Okay, what's the second question? Okay, the second question is, how do you guys feel about all the homage that's going on? All the what? All the homage that's going on. So, uh, you know how, like, I, I don't know what that Thailand, is. Thailand is bought by um, Marvel Comics, right? And then Marvel Comics... Oh, that's all business. I don't care about that. You know, as, as, as long as the material that is being produced is quality material, uh, I don't care what company's putting it out. I mean, that's way you know above my head as far as as the business goes. So, you know, put out good movies, put out good comics, you know, put out good TV. That's all I care about, and that's all they care about too. I mean, they're not going to buy Marvel if Marvel's putting out shit books. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, that's just a business thing. As far as as the process goes. Um, yeah, uh, because I paint in oil, I'm sure that uh, Ken has something similar. Um, there are steps that you do in a painting to lay on layers, lay on a background, uh, let it dry, come on, build up a little bit more detail, you know, build it up through three or four layers. And so between those layers, they have to dry. Um, I, uh, 
have worked out in my style um, a way to lay the paint on, a way to dry it, so that I can do uh, a layer or a background uh, in the morning, uh, have it dry in an hour or two, and be able to work on the next level. And so I could do two or three levels of working, you know, in a day. Um, but it, it, it's slow going, you know, right at the beginning because you have to wait. And that's, that's the death of a commercial artist, if you have to wait. A commercial artist puts out as much work as he can to get paid as quick as he can to move to the next piece. And, um, uh, but for me, that's, that's the way I approach it. And if you want to ask me more at the table, I'd be happy to, uh, to answer more about that. But that's generally how it works. I, I don't, because I'm painting oils, I, I have a way to do it that I don't have to wait days to do it, like most normal oil painting. Um, Days were more brave than me because I used a solvent-based media, um, which are really scary to work with. Um, I use uh, mostly acrylic or um, tempera, gouache. Um, my method is pretty straightforward. I do a whole lot of thumbnails in my sketchbook, and when I find one that the composition works, I then draw it the full size of the actual original, which is usually um, approximately twice the size one and a half times or twice the size. Okay, just let, let me step in here. That's exactly how I approach the beginning of my artwork, too. I mean, yeah. it's, it's the same thing. Thumbnails, do a drawing, make sure everything is there that you want in the finished art. Yeah, and then once you've got that, you transfer it onto the illustration board or the canvas, whatever you're working on. And for me, when I, I used to do a lot of airbrush artwork, so I'd like knock in the uh, local colors. Uh, established the color scheme using the airbrush and then I would start going in and pushing and pulling the lights and darks and eventually something kind of coalesces out of that and you kind of wrestle it to the ground um, and it, it does help sometimes to bring in someone who uh, whose critical eye you trust to look at and say you know that's working this isn't working and then you, you argue with them because of course whatever they say don't be wrong <laughs> and then when they leave you go oh jeez <laughs> yeah. you fix it um, and then you scan it and touch it up in Photoshop if you have to and you send the file off. I mean, life has never been easier for artists insofar as it used to be you would have to pack up the original painting and send it by FedEx and you would worry sick until the next day when the editor called up and said, okay, it's here, you know. Um, but yeah. now it's, um, it's a great time to be an artist, seriously. It is. Should we wrap it up? Wait a minute, one last question. Dave, what is your favorite color? We were just talking about this. <laughs> Purple. That's my favorite color. Oh, is this? Ah, what a great color. Cool, All is. right, I want you to join me in thanking these two Star Wars heroes. And join us in thanking you for being here. Yes, I hope you'll come. Our tables are at B, uh, B9 and 10. Uh, we sell some prints and things. We're... Uh, I'm packing it fairly soon, so if you want to come. Well, we all are packing it soon. Oh, that's right, we five. are. Oh, yeah. well, let's go. Come uh, on. Don't forget one last thing. I want you to give a big round of applause to the volunteers. They've done a whole yes, job. they have. And I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of the last hour, at least, of your Calgary Expo. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah.